Well, this morning, everyone, uh, we're going to continue just diving into what the Lord has called us to. So can we pray before we start, and let's just open up our hearts again to receive. Holy Spirit, we thank you again so much that you are the teacher of the church. We thank you and we open up our hearts and our minds to you that you would reveal Jesus to us in such a way that we can never, we will never go back to the way we were before. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We just put a demand that you are opening up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and we thank you in advance for all the good things that you are going to say and do in our lives and through our lives as we impact generations for you. So we thank you for this in advance. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, just this word encounter, this is something that, again, we've been talking about for quite some time, and I believe, again, as a church family, it's good that we keep this, in, at least in the forefront of our thinking a little bit, that we always have this stirring up, because I believe the Lord is trying to get something across to us. And again, it's so important, again, the season that we understand, the season that we are in, how many know that God operates in seasons, just like we have a, you know, we're gearing up, we are in fall, and so it, the, really a key to success is knowing the season that you're in. I mean, it would be crazy for us to all of a sudden, you know, I get my snowboard, I get all my winter gear out, and I head out to Banff, ready to go hit Lake Louise or something like that, and I go up the chairlift in, you know, plus 25 degrees with my snow gear. What's the problem? I mean, is, can, you not snow, can you not snowboard on Lake Louise? You can, but there's a season for it, right? So it's even key for you and I to understand and grasp the season that we are in. I mean, of course, you may have your individual seasons that you may be in with the Lord, but I'm talking as a church family, God has a season for us, and I want to lay hold of it so that we don't miss out. Right? Because, listen, again, if we don't do the season well, the thing is, is you got to do it over again. So I don't know about you, but I'd rather pass the first grade one time, not three or four times. So, and again, don't, once you think you pass the first grade, how I many know that's not it? You've just done a lap, and guess what's next? Another lap is next. And you got to do that 12 times. Some of us maybe a bit more. But you got to do it a few times. Well, it's the same thing with the Lord. All of a sudden you go, oh man, I've just, I feel like I've grown. I feel like I'm, I'm at this place with the Lord. Great. But that's not where it stops. There's another lap for you to take. And so right now, this season that we are in as a church family, again, I want to emphasize, this is what we are in. I believe the Lord is drawing you and I and calling you and I closer into contact with him. And he's positioning us in such a way that he has access to us. Because listen, we don't know what the future holds yet that's going on in this crazy world. But again, as we just sung and as the word of God even tells us, it doesn't matter what happens out there. What matters is, hey, we are walking closely with the Lord and we are intact with him. Who cares what takes place out there? Now, we are making adjustments. Say it, adjustments. Is making adjustments, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing to make adjustments. Anybody gone to a chiropractor before? Right, okay, you just, what do you get? A good little tweak here, a little, a little crack there, a little, uh, little there, a little stepping on the back, uh, it's over there. But what's all that for is to keep you in alignment. Well, the same thing for you and I. In spiritually speaking, we have to constantly make these spiritual adjustments to make sure that we are in the faith, that we are truly grasping what Jesus came and purchased for us. Are we clear we're good on that? So again, what we've been doing here is taking the time to make adjustments, to line up, and making sure that we are connecting with the Lord properly here. So ultimately, this is, I believe, the season. The Lord is establishing us with the purpose of growing up. I believe the Lord needs a grown-up church. Anybody else? Anybody ever heard that as a kid? Grow up. Anybody heard that just recently? Grow up. (laughs) Well, I believe the Lord is in love telling you and I, hey, impact, it's time that we grow up a little bit more here. And not in a, oh, what you're doing is bad or you're not doing good enough. That's nothing to do with that. But there's so much more the Lord wants to call us into, especially for the times and seasons that we're in. The world needs a church that knows their God. Not just knows about or has, you know, kind of a religious thing that I do on Sundays. I know who he is. And as a result, they'll be strong and they'll carry out exploits for him. So you and I say, look at your neighbor and say, grow up. Did that feel good? Maybe you're sitting next to your spouse. Grow up. But ultimately, you need to look at you and you say, grow up. All right, grow up. <clears throat> All right. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 here for a moment. And in verse 11, it says this, When I was a child, I spoke, say with me, spoke, and I thought, and I reasoned as a child. 
So when you're a child, I mean, I got four children of my own, and what are they doing right now? Currently, they are speaking, thinking, and they're reasoning like a child. Jamie said to me not too long ago, you can't reason with a two-year-old. Of course you can. No, you can't. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> if I give you a deal, hey, you pass this, you know, you give me your blanket over here, and I'll get it to you later. That doesn't work. It's, I need it now. So it's, what is it? It's childish. He thinks and he's reasoning as a child. But notice this, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. So what defines childishness is the way someone is reasoning, someone's thinking, and the way someone's speaking really reveals how childish they are or how adult they are. Right? Okay. So again, we are in the season where the grace is here to put away childish ways. And so you and I, now we are governing our thinking according to the word of God, and we're responding to this. So we're going to grow up. Again, not by our own strength, not by our own efforts, not by my own religious obligations. We're going to find out how to properly grow up in him. Okay? We're good? We're still doing okay? All right. Here we go. Let's go, go here. Now go to Second Peter chapter 3, and while, or while you're turning there... We're going to talk about spiritual growth here for a moment this morning. Spiritual growth can only come by grace. Say it with me. Spiritual growth can only come by grace. I can't work hard enough for spiritual growth. I can't follow enough rules for spiritual growth. I can't put on even religious duty to grow up spiritually. There's no way. So we're going to go into this over the course of this month, I believe. We're going to just take the time and just let the Spirit of God work and minister in us what he needs to work out. But we see right here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the Apostle Peter says, Rather, you must grow. Say with me, grow. You must what? Grow in the Ten Commandments. Oh, sorry. What does it say? In grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to him both now and forever. Look at how the Passion Bible says it. He says, but you must continue. Come on, say with me. Continue to grow and increase in what? In God's grace and intimacy with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May he receive all the glory both now and forever until eternity begins. Amen. So notice here, he didn't say to grow in the rules of Christianity. He didn't say to grow in the mechanics of faith. And none of those things are wrong, but there's a proper way to grow. He didn't say here that I had to memorize more Bible verses to grow. He's saying, how do I grow? I grow in the knowledge of the grace and of intimacy with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So spiritual growth is the result of a personal relationship with Jesus. See, a lot of times, even in the church, sometimes we think somebody gets, you know, maybe they come into Christianity, they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and right away, our default is to go, what do I got to do? How do I got to do this? What can I do to advance? What can I do to be better? And that's the wrong question. We now are learning to cooperate and work with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not just for him, I'm also working with him, and he's developing and growing me up. Now, how does spiritual growth come? Spiritual growth is the result of understanding what God the Father worked through Jesus Christ on my behalf, and now through my personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, he makes the finished work a reality in my life. I'm going to simplify it a little bit more. Spiritual growth is establishing my heart and my belief system in the grace of God. Spiritual growth is allowing grace now to be the reality and the final word in my life. So rather than looking at what's going on here and making decisions based on what I see out here, I'm now allowing the grace of God, what he finished for me on my behalf, what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection, through Taleo, when he declared it is finished, that now becomes not just a nice thing that I accepted Jesus Christ once in, now it becomes my lifestyle. What does teleo, what does the finished work mean for me and allowing that word now to be the final authority in my life? That is how we are going to grow up spiritually. Okay. Now, why am I growing in grace and not the Ten Commandments? Let's look at the contrast between these two here. John 1 verse 17, again, familiar verse. Now the law was given through Moses... 
but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is truth. Come on, say it with me. Grace is truth. It's not a truth. I mean, talk, people talking about, you know, I have my truth. There's no such thing as my truth. There is an experience that I may have, but we have to always align that to the truth, which is the grace of God that came in through Jesus Christ. Grace is truth, and truth is Jesus. So when my life is being built on grace, it's being built by Jesus. So grace is the only way that I can spiritually grow and spiritually advance. What I'm going to do this morning is just lay a foundation for what we're going to get into in future weeks. Okay? Just so we're clear. Now, the law is not my teacher. So I know you may not have that thing, but there's a lot of people that have that mindset that, okay, I just got to know the, ten, the big ten commandments. I got to know them, I got to know them, I got to know them. And if I just live by them, I'm spiritually developing. The law is not designed to be your teacher. It never was. So look at these verses here just to prove that. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, it says, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose. Now listen to the purpose of the law is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. Verse 20, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So again, what is the purpose of the law? It's to show how sinful we are. Again, the purpose of that. So a lot of people say, if I I can just do the Ten Commandments, and again, the whole purpose, the reason why God gave the Ten Commandments is without them, this, I mean, listen, Cain killed Abel. And this world was going down quickly. What was going on? And there was no law to govern everything. So God had to establish a law, a righteous standard for really his character and his nature. The Ten Commandments really is who God is. And he's revealing, I mean, there's 613, well, 603, and then the big 10 are there. So it says, do not kill. And there's about, you know, 20, 25 laws that would help support do not kill. (laughs) Nobody could keep it. Not even Moses, the one who wrote the law. Moses couldn't even do it. There's no human flesh that could keep and administer the law properly or effectively. I mean, at one point, you actually see in the book of Exodus, I inter- just really read that and find out just before God gave Moses the law, the people said to, to, to God, whatever he tells us to do, we can do it. That was their response. And it wasn't saying in the, we'll obey it, we'll do it. It was this arrogant mindset going, God, whatever you say, no problem. Easy in their fallen nat- nature. In their sinful state, they said, God, no problem. And so after that, literally, you see God's tone change towards the Israelites. He goes, you think you can do all this apart from me? You think you can do this on your own? Here, let me show you what the standard is for my type of living. And the law was given. And the law, it says, it proves and reveals to us how sinful and how nasty we were. Thank God for the law. But now look at this, Galatians 3.19 He says this, why then was the law given? It was meant to be an um, intimidatory agreement added. uh, Is this the right verse? After God gave to the promise the one coming. Oh yeah, go to the next slide there, guys. It was given, here it is. It was given to show men how guilty they are and it remained in force until the seed was born to fulfill the promises of Abraham. So the law was here for a time. And again, I'm not going into detail on the law. We did a lot of that, you know, this last couple months. But again, what was it there for and how long was it supposed to be here for? The law was here until the seed was born. Who is that seed? Jesus. So Jesus, has he come? So is the law still intact? It's finished. It's been completed. So you and I cannot grow spiritually by trying in my own effort to be a better person. I'm going to be a better Christian. If I will just, okay, I'll make sure I don't do this and I'll make sure I do this. And you're trying to do it in your own effort. It does not work. Next, he goes on to say in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, it says, For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law, notice, what did the law do? It gives sin its power. All of a sudden, there's a law, thou shalt not kill. 
All of a sudden, now you've killed. What did it do? It gave sin this power to now go ahead and do it. Sin got its power from the law. So who then is the law for? This is a good question. Who is it for? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, he lays out, he says, actually, the law was not established for righteous people. Who's righteous in this room? So seven of you. No, you need to answer. Who is righteous in this room? How did you get it? You got it through Jesus, through his sacrifice and what he accomplished for us, right? Okay, so he says the law was not established for you. Say it, the law is not established for me. So what did it do? It came to bring conviction of sin to the unrighteous. The law was established to bring the revelation of sin to the evildoers and rebellious, the sinners without God, those who are vicious and perverse, and to those who strike their father or their mother, sinners, murderers, rapists, those who are sexually impure, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, and those who break the oath, their oaths. And he goes on to say, and all those who oppose the teaching of godliness and purity in the church. They are the ones the law is for. Again, what is the purpose of the law? Everybody's on equal playing ground. To reveal to you and I how sinful we were, and you need a Savior, not just to fulfill the law for you, but that you live out your days totally dependent on this King Jesus. Not just for salvation, thank God, that's included in all of it, but in your everyday decision-making. Jamie did a wonderful job last week explaining all that, where we came, what our foundations were, what the intention of our creation was all about, was to be completely dependent upon the source who is God. So now the next question is, why is there sin in the church? And what do I mean by sin? Missing the mark. That's what sin literally means, is to miss the mark off what God says. Anybody sinned in this room before? few lesser hands went up, but okay. Why is there sin in the church? Is because Christians or believers are trying to spiritually grow by the Ten Commandments. You are trying to do this on your own. You're trying to make this work. You're trying to get out of that addiction. You're trying to get out of that mindset. You're trying to make things work in your marriage. You're trying to make things work with your kids. You're trying to do this and do that. If I can just pray harder, if I can just do this, I'll make my kids come to church. Then they'll love God. You're trying all of these types of things, and you're wondering why nothing's working. It's because what's happening is is you're trying to be God without him. You're trying to live the Christian life apart from God, and it was never designed that way. Romans 6.14 really clearly lays it out. He says, sin is no longer your master. Wow. Can I say that? Sin is not my master. Well, I don't know if I can say that, man. I, I'm still dealing with a lot of stuff. Yeah, sure, there's, people are all dealing with stuff. I'm not saying, hey, that there's not things that come our way. Of course, but how do we overcome it? Oh, I got to just work harder. I'm going to just pray really, really, really hard today. I'm going to show up to church and I'm going to, I will give you all my glory. And you're singing and you're trying and you're doing all these things, looking for a feeling. And meanwhile, you've missed the whole purpose of what you're all about. Sin will no longer be your master. Why? Because you no longer live under the requirements of the law. What does the law do? The law requires you will not. If you do, you're going to get. Thou shall not, thou shall not. And so what happens? You live under this, I better not, I better not, I better not. And what happens only a matter of time later, I do, I do, I do. And then you feel guilty, you feel remorse. Oh, and then all of a sudden, you don't do it for a week and you go back into the same vicious cycle going, how can I be set free? Can somebody just pray for me? Just lay hands on me. I want to feel something so that God will just forgive me and I can move on. He's already done it. So what do I need to do is break out of the cycle that I'm growing and advancing spiritually by obeying the commandments. How am I free? How, how is sin no longer my master? Because I live now under the freedom of God's grace. When you realize what grace has done on your behalf, 
It changes everything. And we're going to talk about this over this month, but grace has been lied about. Grace has been totally slapped and said, oh, that stuff, it just makes people sin. That's crazy. You're going to find that in a bit because grace isn't a topic. Grace is a man. So Jesus is making you sin? No. You're going to find out later what grace actually teaches us. Grace is here to instruct the church, to build her up, to be a mature body before Jesus comes back and picks us up. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. If you keep going, law, you will not. You better do better. You better. You know what's going to happen? You're going to have a bunch of people going to heaven, but miserable. And so what does church become? Church becomes a religious obligation. Check this box. I better raise my hand, do this. Better pay my tithes because I, I don't want to be cursed if I don't give. Crazy. But religious people like to keep people in religion because fear works. Like to keep you bound. Like to keep you think, if you don't pay your tithes, man, you are in some serious trouble. God's going to get, or the Satan's going to have access to your kids. He's going to wreck them. He's going to destroy them. Your life is going to be a mess. Now, instead of trying to give from that perspective, oh, I better give. You're giving out of fear rather than out of a generous, free heart going, Lord, I depend on you. I can't wait to give rather than, oh, God, I better not. Lord, take, here, take it all. Take my clothes. Take everything. It's fear motivated. So you and I have got to learn how to live under the freedom of God's grace. Okay. Again, we think that we can get out of our addiction, our destructive behavior on our own, making my own decisions, planning out my own life, taking care of all my needs. This is the very scam that Satan used from the beginning to even trick a third of the angels. Then he brought it down to Adam and Eve. And he's still doing it today. I know I've made mention of this before. But we don't have a problem with the animal kingdom. There's no problem with the, you know, the vegetable kingdom. Why? It's because they're all functioning according to their design. What is it? Completely dependent upon God. Look at the plants. Look, look at all the trees. How come it happens every year they, they're dying now? <laughs> we go, look at the foliage. And meanwhile, the leaves are, ah! They're slowly dying, and we're looking at it going, man, take some pictures as I throw you in the air. <laughs> but there's a design for it. They're completely dependent upon the sun. They're completely dependent upon you breathing on them. <sighs> and what happens? They just produce this oxygen. Now, what's happening in our mankind's kingdom is we've declared independent from God. Where now we are trying to be our own source. We're trying to do our own thing. And that's what Satan lied to Eve all about. You think, did God really say? Did God really do? Ah, no, he doesn't. He, no, if you eat this, you'll be just like him. And listen, they already were. So by them opening up and taking this, they declared their dependency upon God. And the first thing that took place is that they hid themselves because they were afraid. So what we're doing now is we are aligning and we're putting back our place going, Lord, I'm completely dependent upon you. This is what we're going to get to over the course of this month is learning to live a life completely dependent upon God. Not on self, not on government, not on family members. I'm completely dependent upon God. Of course, God being our source and he's got millions of channels that he can operate and work through. But I don't look to you. You're not my source. If I were to do that, that'd be very disappointing. I'm not your source. If I was your source, you'd be disappointed, guaranteed. Why? Because I'm not God. I'm a created being. Right? Okay, okay, we're moving right along. Okay. Now, so God's design in the New Testament through the finished works of Jesus is this God knew we couldn't keep the law. So he sent his son to fulfill the law and to be the ultimate sacrifice for the world. People would hear and come to encounter his grace. And instead of depending on themselves to be their source, they now completely depend on God for everything they would ever need. And his grace now has provided. Listen, his grace has provided everything we will ever need. Look at this verse, 2 Peter. Jamie read it this morning. She preached my verse. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. Can we read that together twice? 
Okay? And the right, why, why, why do you make me say that? You got to get it down on the inside of you. And your tongue is the pen for your heart. How do you get things on the inside of you? You talk it. Because this, that thing right there is the pen for your heart. So how do I write on my heart? I got to speak something. So let's read this twice. Okay, everybody got their ink out? All right. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. One more time. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. Do you believe that? If you, it'll change the way you live. Rather than going from a, God, I need, God, can you do, God, 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 please, 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 please. Now we're taking on a position, what has grace already provided? Now I'm simply releasing what has been given to me. For all of this, everything that God's given us was lavished. Not, you know, a few little drops here and there. It was lavished. That word lavish, you just keep pouring it on. You know what kind of God we got is a pour on God. Whoop. And I say, God, it's too much. You say, shut up, take some more. And he just keeps pouring more and more and more. And just when you go, God, that's it. He goes, no, you need some more. Here, take this and this. That's who he is. So we have to start seeing him this way. All of this was lavished upon us. And we're not just talking about, like, what, what are you thinking that he's provided for you? I mean, we talk about, okay, my, my salvation's provided. Okay, we think healing. We think, you know, the blessings of God. We think peace. And all of that is good. But what about a good attitude? Do you think he'd help you with a good attitude? Have you ever met a grumpy Christian? Woo! What happened to you? Jesus, help him. Grumpy. Like, we, we think, you know what, we just talk about the big sins. Did you know that bad attitude's a sin? I'm just miserable. You know, things are going wrong. Do you know who Jesus is? Yeah, but you haven't seen him. Oh, I just, I just like to worry. I'm just a worrier. That's, that's what I do. I worry, I worry, I worry. That doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove that you care more. It proves that you believe less. <laughs> Anyhow, we're just, grow, we're just growing up. Just growing up. Okay. Can you guys go back to 2 Peter 1.3? He says, for all of this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of you can't get away from personal relationship. Sometimes we just look, well, just give me the mechanics. If I say this, if I do that, then I'm good. No, no, it's personal relationship. The next part, he says, who has called us by name. Wow. And then he invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. So there's an invitation gone out, and where is it towards? A manifestation of his goodness. This is what God wants to do in your and my life, is to manifest how good he is and how much he loves you. That's what he's interested in doing. So this is, again, how spiritual growth comes. Now, God is committed to perfecting me. God is completely dedicated to maturing you and I into all that he's called us to be. He started the work. He's going to finish the work. Now look at this, Philippians 1.6. He says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue. Say with me, will continue. What's he continuing? This work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Next, Psalm 138, verse 8. He says this, Lord, you keep every promise you've ever made to me. Since your love for me is constant and endless, I ask you, Lord, to finish every good thing that you've begun in me. See, the crazy thought is as soon as we get born again, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, now we start getting to work. And you know what religion does? Religion has actually put you in the way. Oh, I got to do this. I got to perfect. I have to, man, I got to really grow up. I got to change all this. I got to, man, you should, you have no idea the mindsets that I've been having this past week. You know, man, I'm the struggle, the anger that I have, the, the rage I want to take out. All of this stuff, we go, oh, Lord, I don't want to bring this to you because it's embarrassing. You sound just like Adam and Eve. Listen, what did they do in their brilliance? One day, all God asked them, who told you you were naked? Who told you? And what happened? They started sowing fig leaves. That slimy fig leaf, that damp fig leaf, and they're trying to sew and make a skirt out of it. Whatever Adam wore, whatever that was, just a leaf. 
It doesn't work. No, but you got to see how stupid we are. People are apart from God. So what are we doing? We're making little skirts for each other out of grass and going, here I am. And God's going, that's not what I designed this for. And same thing all of a sudden, well, God, I, got, I got stuff that I'm just working on. Great, we all got stuff that we're working on. But the worst thing that you could do is try to do it on your own apart from him. Instead, run to him with it. Reveal, Lord, this is where I'm at. This is what I got. I need your help. And now allow the grace of God to minister and to grow you up in it. Okay. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. This is, again, God has said, or he says, Let your character or your moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, lust, and craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. Now notice this. Why can we be content in life? For God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Woo, can you see God's, he's serious about this. He's not about to let you go. He's not about to drop the ball with you. Man, I know he's got a lot of kids, but there's not one time we go, I kind of dropped the ball in the fourth one. There's just too many kids to keep count of. Never happened. God's not interested in dropping the ball with any of us. So you got to take this to the bank. He will not, he will not in any degree, in any way, leave me helpless or forsake me. I believe that. You believe that. So then look at this. God says something. Grace has spoken. My response is this in verse 6. So I take comfort and be encouraged confidently, and I boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Come on, say it with me. The Lord is my helper. With what? In everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He is my helper. He is my sustainer. The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? Man, doesn't this sound like somebody you want to hang around with? Rather than being nervous about everything that comes their way, the government's doing this, they're talking this, get your tinfoil hats on. Like the fear and the dread and the worry and the anxiety is rampant like never before. Why? Because the devil's time is short and he only has one game. And if he can get the church to declare their dependence away from God and onto self, onto government, onto other people, you surely will fail. He said the people that know their God, not just know about him. So listen, the people that don't know their God, listen, it's not going to be fun for you. Listen, you could come to church. I just want to hear how everything's just going to be okay. I can't guarantee that. There's nowhere in the scriptures that you find that everything is just going to pan out. For the believer, obviously, we know where we're going. But if you don't know who your God is, do you know him? No, it's a question you need to ask yourself. Do I know him? Not just know about him. It's I can't be playing church anymore. I can't just come to look to, okay, I just need to feel something really nice and I can just make it through this week. Forget just making this week. You've got to make it to Walmart. I'm trying to just get to Walmart okay. You got a devil that is angry. He's ticked off, ready to steal, kill, and to destroy. But those that know their God, they will be strong and they will carry out exploits. I mean, especially with those with kids. I have never had the opportunity for fear other than having kids. Like I got a son that's playing soccer at Edmonton this morning. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, I'm not driving him. Who's driving him? And all that fear can come in. I'm, I'm not around him when, no, like, he's a nine-year-old kid. I, what, what, what's going on? All of that could try rising up on the inside of you. And that's where you go, no, no, no. I know in whom I have believed. I know my God. And I know what he told me. He told me to go down this path with him. That's the path we're going on. There is complete protection. So angels, you, take, you go and you know, push that car if you need to. Get it to where it needs to go and you get it right back safely. 
See, there's such confidence in that rather than sitting at home. Oh, oh man, oh, man, oh, man. He hasn't texted yet. Well, that's because he doesn't have a phone. (laughs) All of these things come. And again, we kind of think and we actually promote worry in the church. Worry, 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 worry. It proves that you care. Yeah. No, it proves that you don't believe. (laughs) All right. All right. So we boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified because what can men do to me? So now since God is committed to perfecting me, how is he going to do this today? How is God going to do this, this perfecting, this maturing me today that I live in this New Testament? I live in Red Deer, Alberta. How is God going to perfect, equip me for all that he's called me to do? Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. I'm going to close with this because I don't want to get into the next thing here. But this really clearly lays out for you and I why we don't look to the Ten Commandments is because, again, the Ten Commandments is all about you doing. The old law system is all about if you do, then God can. It's an if-you system. You and I cannot grow spiritually by an if-you system. We grow, spiritually speaking, you and I, we're growing by what grace has already done. I choose to believe it. I choose to renew my mind to it. And I apply that in my life. That is spiritual development. That is spiritual growth. Becoming a doer of what grace has already provided. You don't have to try to get yourself healed. Anybody ever try that before? You try things. You try, well, man, okay, Lord, I, like, I, you, I saw in your word, okay, I had flu symptoms try to get on me. So I, I start getting a little bit upset, get a little panicky. Come on. So I went for a run. How'd that turn out? <laughs> Listening to my, you know, blasting my Christian music. And I'm just going, I'm like, yeah, you're going to devil take the. <laughs> and you're all over the road. You're a mess. And you're going, what are you, what are you doing? I'm believing in taking, kicking sick his butt. And people go, you're stupid. You're nuts. Yeah. What is that? It's me trying to make something happen. Did he tell me to go for a run? No. He told me to sit down. But Lord, I'm smarter than you. So I'm going to go for a run. And so off you go running. And while you're running, you're puking all the way down. And God said, sit down. So eventually I had to sit down. <laughs> But do you see how we're trying to make things happen? I'm going to try to make this work. I'm going to try to force this to happen. And you got to stop and go, wait on a sec. What is this whole thing about? Grace initiates everything. My job is to respond to what grace says. If grace says sit, sit. If grace says sleep, listen, he calls us sheep for a reason. We have to really have this simplified. When grace says, go, go. When grace says, stay, stay. What is grace telling you to do? And again, this is what God, how is he going to equip us? How is he going to, you know, bring us to this place that he's called us to? For the grace of God that that brings salvation has appeared to who? So this grace regarding salvation has appeared to who? All men. Do all men have it? No. Why? Because grace has to be received. This gift, this kindness, this graciousness has to be received. So again, our message to the world is one filled with grace, filled with kindness as we represent the Lord Jesus well. My message is not an if you message. Hello. Our message is not, if you, if you don't, you're going to hell. Is that true? Yes, it is true. But my message is not from what you have to do to get in. The message is, look what grace, look what Jesus has done for you on your behalf. Your job is to simply go, I receive that. See, where people have a hard time with grace, I mean, you probably hear a lot of that hyper grace or they're crazy grace people, is because they've taken grace and they separated away from Jesus. 
You can't do that. Grace on its own is dangerous. Oh, just, just forget about it. Yeah, you live however you want to live. No problem. Just, yeah, go ahead and do that. That's, that's totally fine. There's grace. There's grace. No, 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 no. God loves you. Jesus loves you. Now he's going to equip you and raise you up to what he's called you to be. So again, I think grace has been given a bad rap because a lot of times people have this understanding, well, if you teach grace and talk grace, well, people are just going to keep living the nasty lives that they're going to live. They're going to do that apart from grace anyway. But when you start teaching grace properly, I think the proper way to teach is that you have to all of a sudden look at Romans chapter 6 where Paul says, so what do we say to all this? Do we continue in sin so that God's grace may be amplified? Of course not. So you got to talk and believe grace to the point where you go, I could literally do anything that I want. And the answer is, you absolutely can. But because of the kindness and the grace of God, I don't want to go to that bar anymore. I, I, I don't want to live that lifestyle anymore. Why? Because you've now, instead of just, don't do it, now this grace is causing change on the inside of you. Listen, the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, he actually takes away your old want-tos. I want to do that. All of a sudden, he takes that away, and he gives you the brand new want-to. I want to spend time of my word. How many of you were like that in your teen years? Man, I want to read the word. Anybody that was like, look, there's a few. There's a few. But then the rest of you, what all of a sudden became that change and that desire where you go, man, oh Lord, I want, to be, I want to be with you. I want to get in that word. The spirit of God changed you. Right? So this is what grace will do. So again, this grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now verse 12 Notice what this grace does. Teaching us. Not teaching the world. It's teaching the born again, child of God, someone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Grace is teaching you what? To deny ungodliness. There it is right there. Well, you need the law. You got to really lay some things down for people to be godly. No, no, no. Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. And you know what ungodliness is? We're going to talk about this probably next week. Ungodliness is not what you think it is. <laughs> People look a lot of times and they look at the, the aftermath or the fruit of ungodliness. But ungodliness simply just means without God. Christians can be living ungodly where they don't even ask God, hey God, do I take this job? Should I go here? Should I do this? Lord, what, what do I do with this? That's called ungodly. And what happens if you leave God out of the picture long enough, you start doing pretty weird, drastic, disgusting things. But more importantly, rather than just looking at the fruit of ungodliness, the root of it is, is that I'm actually just denying God access into my life. Lord, what do I do with my finances? Has that question ever come up in you? Because if not, God is not having access into my finances. God, how do I treat my wife? How can I work this out with my wife? If you haven't asked that question, you're doing marriage ungodly. Yeah, but I'm a Christian. It's not about that. I know you're a Christian. That's great. You're going to heaven. Woo, woo, woo. We're talking about giving him access into every area of our lives. And ungodliness is maybe where we'd be stuck at. So grace teaches us to deny not allowing Jesus into our life. Grace also teaches us to deny Worldly lust, and we'll get into what that is as well. Also, grace teaches us that to live soberly. What does a sober mind mean? It says that I'm steady, I'm calm, and I can make decisions properly. What teaches you that? <laughs> Come on, y'all, what teaches us this? Grace. What else does grace do? It teaches us how to live righteously and godly in this present age. So can you see grace is more than just, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm saved by grace. Absolutely true. Now don't just leave grace at the altar whenever you got saved. You got to sudden go back and say, hey, grace, I need this intimate relationship with you because you're here to teach me all of these things. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to do that. And how can I do all these things? Verse 13, I'll finish it off right here. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ our Lord. So meanwhile, while we're growing and we're developing all of these things, we constantly have our eye on the look for Jesus' return to get his church out of here. So y'all, what teaches us? The Ten Commandments? You passed the test. <laughs> you can go to say, hey, man, I went to church. What happened? I passed the test. What teaches the believer? 
If you don't answer, it's still a 0%. You have to answer. What teaches the Christian? Grace. What doesn't teach the Christian? The law. Now, aren't you so thankful for this Jesus that we serve? Listen, God is so committed, so committed to the advancing of your spiritual progress. Because again, what's the standard? Not some Christian that you may be admiring or maybe a minister or speaker that you like. They're not the standard. You're selling yourself way short. The standard is Jesus. Oh, man. And what is this whole earth waiting and looking for? The manifestation... No, listen, y'all. Listen, let's get biblical here. What is this world looking for? The manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. Who are the sons and daughters of God? You can't just say, oh yeah, Christians, Christians are Christians. Yeah, they are. But all of a sudden, talking about the manifestation or the revealing of God's sons and daughters is those who are rooted and grounded in this word of grace. What governs our lives? What puts the boundaries in my life? Grace. I'm not doing things out of rules or regulations or religion. Because listen, those will get breached and crossed regularly. But when grace starts putting things in place, rather than going, oh man, I'm not allowed to sleep around anymore. That was so fun. That was so great. All of a sudden, grace teaches you why. It's not like God's going, no fun for you. This Christian life should be boring and very, very difficult. The Christian life, from what I read in my Bible, is exciting, it's joyful, it's fulfilling. A lot of times, it, Lord, it doesn't even make sense when this world's going nuts. People ask me, why are you happy? I just am. I, I, I got Jesus. I know my grace. I know what Jesus has done. And my life is simply to respond to who he is and what he did. Oh, gas is $1.61 again. I tell you. Rah, 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 rah. And meanwhile, we can look at it and go, Woo, my God will supply all my needs again. Rather than looking at going, Oh, dear God, just look at going, Another opportunity for grace to demonstrate himself in my life. And people look at you and they go, How are you paying for this gas? Here, we'll put it in your stew. Fill yours up at the same time. Because it's not just for me. I'm blessed to be a blessing. And people all of a sudden go, Man, what? What, what is it? What, 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 what is all this? It's Jesus. Jesus will take care of it. And over one tank of gas, an opportunity to talk to an individual. From a tank of gas? Are you kidding me? What's his soul worth? An extra 100 bucks? Oh, it's $1.61. An extra 121 bucks? No big deal. Do you think God can make up the difference? Absolutely. This is what grace does. It teaches us to deny ungodliness. And so now, rather than, oh, you know, God, I don't know how you're going to make this work. No, 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 God, I trust you. I don't just trust you. I depend completely on you. And I rest in that. I have this too, just in my heart. For those of you that you've lost, you've lost, shouldn't say lost, a loved one has gone home to be with the Lord. He makes up the difference. There is this grace available for you and I. Of course, there's this miss but I, I know my wife, her, her father passed away right after we got married. And that, that was hard for her, especially. And I mean, we were newly married, so our marriage, I mean, that was like, whoa, we got to, what, what is happening all this? I mean, it just threw a big wrench in how things were. And she moved here from BC. And I remember there was a word that the, that the Lord gave her through an individual that we had. We had a conference going on here. And she said to her, Jesus is worth the miss. And I don't know, something right there, sweetie, did something just, oh, Jesus is, sorry, he's greater than the miss. Jesus is greater. And it was after that moment that, of course, do we miss him? Absolutely. But grace. Ha. Huh. So if you have a loved one that has gone home to be with the Lord, even of recently, I want to just remind you again, this grace is available for you. What does that mean? It's there for comfort. He's there for strength. But here's the thing. Get closely acquainted with this grace. Don't just move on and I've I got to just keep busy, keep busy, keep busy, keep busy, keep busy. Slow down. Let grace do his healing work in you. 
Because what do we do naturally is we try to get so busy and I got to do, I got to do. It's like the Mary and Martha situation, right? Martha, Martha, you are consumed by so many things. Mary has found the greatest things and that will never be taken away from her. What was the greatest thing? To sit at the feet of grace. Now notice how I'm using that word Jesus and grace interchangeably. He's the same. So Jesus takes care of the miss. He's greater than the miss. Can we just receive him this this morning again? Listen, I want to, I've been telling the Lord recently in my own time with him, Lord, I want to be trusted with your presence. I don't want to take that for granted that I just do this Christian life, do my thing, and okay, God, we need your presence now. Do something, do something. Lord, I want to carry this thing wherever I go. I want to carry him wherever I go. So Lord, find me accountable. See me worthy as one who carries your grace, carries your presence, your love everywhere that I go. I don't take that for granted. So Lord, we open up our hearts again to you this morning to be carriers and administrators of your grace. We receive your love. We receive your kindness. And in Jesus' name, we position our hearts to be taught by grace. Can you just say this? Heavenly Father, teach me through your grace to live the life you've called me to live. Thank you, Jesus. I receive that. I receive your grace. I receive your grace. There's wisdom for your family. There's wisdom for your children. All the answers aren't necessarily on Facebook or on our media platforms or the news or some professional counselor. Thank God for it. Nothing wrong with any of that. But what grace is going to teach you, rather than going to all these places and then come to Jesus as kind of a last resort, We go to him first, and he makes straight and plain our path. He has the access to the proper counselor you may need or not need. Right? Don't don't just kind of, well, just assume. I'm just going to assume this is what it is. Don't assume. Pride assumes. Humility asks, Lord, what do I do here? And let grace reveal to you your next step. Amen.